Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 31. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 31. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. We're here to discuss chapter 14 of Not a Fan by Kyle Edelman, chapter titled, Whatever, What About That? It's the last chapter in the book. We, last uh, chapter. We've made it here. And there's any number of different directions I could go with this. Greg, did you have anything you wanted to start with or initial thoughts? Well, you know, I've got to say, um, I really liked this chapter. But (laughs) (laughs) I liked it because it gave me insight into who Kyle is, and it helps make further sense of where he's coming from. I didn't like it because I necessarily agreed with it or because I thought it was helpful for the purposes of understanding better what it is to be a Christian and how to relate to God. But how to understand Kyle Eidelman, I got a lot out of this. Well, what I thought was amazing was the very last two sentences of the chapter mm-hmm. could have been the start of a whole different book. Quote, so I'm on 2.12. You don't have to go back to where you started. You don't need to get a little closer on your own. He reaches out to you with grace and love and invites you to follow him. He wants you to start following him right where you are, and he wants you to start right now. Cool. It's like, hmm, that's so different than uh, back to 21, which is uh, we've all been put up place on this earth to make a decision, you know, where we want to spend eternity, and that's why we're here is to decide if we want to live in heaven or live in hell. It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost, it's almost like he's. It's almost like something that's in there has come out, you know, and it, it, it's not the. It has a totally different. It just struck me that it. It has a. T- that, those two sentences, this last part of the. Like, it has a completely different feel than the rest of the book, which mm-hmm. was any number of. You know, second guessing of yourself and your motives, and are you doing enough? And are you really following Jesus as opposed to just a fan? And you don't want to get that wrong because that would affect where you spend eternity. And just like, wow, there there just seems to be a little more space in this notion of, um, you don't have to do it on your own. That that yeah, God is actually reaching out to us versus a little earlier in the same chapter, which is, uh, you know, there's probably that one big thing that you're holding on to, and if you would just let go of it, then you would finally, you know, fully be following God and fully know him. But until you drop that one little thing, God can't do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this, I think for me, what what really uh, struck me is, is that, we haven't talked at all about why it might be difficult for somebody to do that. And I guess Ooh, I that's was, good. That's good. Get going. You know, well, <laughs> here, here's what I'm thinking. Cause I'm I, gonna... wrote, I wrote in the margin uh, on page 209. He talks about, you know, what would change if we were to go all in and be completely committed. And I wrote kind of along the lines of what you're saying. I said, it's really hard after reading a manipulative baseless book like this to know <laughs> what what is standing in my way of getting of being all in? I would say it's so hard for me to know because I've read and grown up with so much stuff like mm-hmm. this book that was so misguided and very manipulative in hindsight mm-hmm. that it's like pff, I don't know. So yeah. go there. Well, I, I'm going to put down three ideas that are big. For me and I'd love to hear how this resonates with you and I don't want to put them down like it's like three um, three principles th- for everyone to follow well I think these <laughs> things apply to everybody so you know maybe you don't and you can tell me that but I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not they're not just modular they're not separate there's this there's a huge interweaving here so I'm, I'm that whole piece of how they're interweaving 
we've woven, I, I don't necessarily have to, to present now, but I mean, the, the three ideas for me are belief. And I mean that in a very uh, primitive way, like this idea that God exists, this idea that the, there's the divine and, and then a, maybe a further idea, a uh, further concept being understanding, having some sense of, okay, you know, I can, I can go with this idea that there's a God. I can go with that. And that it's not just some sort of, uh, you know, force in the universe or some sort of, uh, I don't know, notion of the divine that I have inside of me because I'm an intelligent being and that really doesn't exist outside of me. And so this understanding idea might be like, you know, who is God and what does it mean to be, like, what, what's, what is the, the link between us and God? Is there any? But the thing that, that also got me, so, so, you know, for myself, I'll just situate myself in this. I, I do believe, I don't have a difficulty believing in the idea of a God. I don't have to be convinced of that, per se. Understanding. I think I've got a pretty good understanding. For, for me, the idea of, you know, who God is comes back to this idea of God is, a, is, is, is the creator, is an entity, you know, um, who knows me better than I know myself, more truly than I know myself, who loves me more deeply than I love myself. But the third piece is trust. You know, and I think trust is different than faith. And trust is definitely different than obedience. And what I get coming out of this book is all obedience. Right? If there's anything that I, that I can pull out in a positive way, the notion of being a follower is, this is what you're told to do, do it. That's what I'm hearing him say. And that, for me, is obedience. And that, the, the, the quintessential problem that I think Kyle has here is an inability to recognize the prior steps that make obedience even a, a, an intelligible concept or a possible set of, you know, responses. Well, and I think that's set up because the, the way that, that he approaches and understands the Bible. Mm -hmm. And the, I think how he understands God too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, you'd have to say more about that in terms of how he uses the Bible. It seems very, you know, the Bible says this, so of course you have to do it. Doesn't matter whether like where he lifted those verses from or <laughs> or, or how he interprets them, but you know, this is what it says. You got to do it. Yep. And if yep. you don't do it, you won't find God. And if you don't find God, you will not spend eternity in a place that you wish that you had. You see, and that, that's the irony here, right? If you don't do it, you won't find God. So if you don't obey, and, and yet what, what do we read all the time in, in um, certainly in the book of John, but in the Synoptic Gospels as well, you know, the one who loves me d does what I command. If you love me, you will obey me. Well, but, but what he's saying really is, Obey me in order to know me. This is what I hear, Kyle, what, what, you know, your comment, you know, if you don't do it, you won't know God. And, and then for me, that's, again, it's totally backwards. And it's looking, it's pointing to the fact that these notions of belief, understanding, trust, they're not, they haven't been addressed. So for me personally, I don't have a problem believing. Um, you know, I have my understanding of who God is. You know, God wants to be in relationship with us. You know, sin, sin or Sin is something that keeps us, it breaks relationship, it makes relationship difficult between us and God. And, and I've got something for a, a later podcast that I wrote down from a, a song, a uh, Christian hymn, you know that, do you know that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul? Mm -hmm. I was in church and singing that today, and this notion of your sin being nailed to the cross and it's all gone, and I thought, okay, now I understand what's going on here because I've got a very different idea of what sin is. It's not, you know, or maybe what we're seeing is two different notions. And people have this notion of sin as this, um, as the reasons why God doesn't love me, or God won't, won't hang out with me, or God rejects me, versus sin as the things that, uh, as omissions, omissive and commissive actions that impede my ability to be in right relationship with God, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Right? God's not throwing up those barriers. I am throwing up those barriers. But, anyways, coming back to this belief, understanding, and trust, I, you know, I realize that trust is a huge issue for me. 
you know, I, I, I understand what, what, what I'm supposed to do, but it's not a question of lack of obedience. It's not like, oh, I really don't want to feel like that, right? You know, it's often put in that, that manner of, you know, you want to go out and enjoy yourself. You want to have fun. You want to blah, blah, blah. No, I think, I think people have got it. Most times they've got it wrong. I think most times it's, who is God anyways and why on earth should I trust God? Which is far different from what's in it for me or it's, this isn't any fun. You know, I think the, the issue, in other words, is much more visceral and emotional than it is, you know, dealing with some sort of a, oftentimes we talk about this, this notion of rebellion and rebelliousness comes up and this is the notion. And I think that that's not the case at all. I think that what it is, is lack of connection. Hmm. There's, there's lack of the necessary elements of connection or attachment, if you like. You know, we talk about attachment theory with kids, and I think there's a, there's a need for a proper attachment with God. And if that's not there, then why on earth, like the, the obedience question is a, it doesn't make any sense. Why would I, why, I'm not going to obey a, a sign that tells me to walk off, uh, the end of a pier. Why, why would I do that? Uh, that's, that's ridiculous. Or, you know, uh, go ahead, keep driving, the bridge is out. I'm not going to do that. I, I need to have a sense of assurance that what I'm being, you know, prompted to do is something that makes sense and is something that's in my best interest. You know, and that's part of, for me, what it means from the whole understanding piece of understanding that God knows me better, more truly than I know myself. God knows me deeply. God knows who I am. So in terms of identity, God has a better sense of my identity than I do. God loves me more deeply than I love myself. God's desires for me are in my best interest, more so than my own desires for myself. Which doesn't mean like freaky stuff, like God's going to say, do freaky stuff that makes no sense to you, that seems completely, you know, harmful or ridiculous or what have you. But it does mean that I think we have, what, what, what I understand the Bible to be communicating to us and what my own experiences of God have communicated to me are that God knows me truly and God has my best interests at heart and I have excellent grounds therefore to trust God well what's so interesting what you're saying about trust is I'm kind of the contrast to that on 207 towards the bottom quote until you have really surrendered anything and everything over to Jesus and truly put him above all else in your life you will not know the joy and satisfaction that comes when you go all in so I guess I'm seeing there that the flip side of trust is an active okay I have enough information Mm. I I'm 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 moving forward and approaching, and I am trusting you versus surrender, which is I just give up. I give up everything. I become, well, in his words, I become a zero. Um, and that's what kind of bothers me about this chapter is you can't really find God until you just give everything up. You just give it all up. And if there's probably that one big thing that's, you know, if you would just give it up, in your case, it could be if you just gave up your need to trust, you know, then you could just find God. <laughs> yeah. And this drives me crazy because, yeah, that's that's one of the things that's been held out to me as 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 the reason that I can't find God is that there's probably this these one or two big things, you know, maybe it's quote my cynicism or or whatever, and if I would just, you know, I'm just too afraid to just fully surrender myself, and um, I don't know. I think Kyle would advocate kind of some wacky stuff. I mean, he likes to give these kind of extreme examples of people that you know, have gone all out and all in mm-hmm. and that because they did that, that's how they found God or that's where God met them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, on the one hand, I don't want to read too much into his examples, but I think his examples really are important. And so when he gives these sort of wacky examples and he's talking about, Oh, well, and, and I would qualify that by saying wacky. I think most people would read these examples and be like, wow, yes, those are true men and women of God. You know, they gave away all their earthly possessions and went to serve Jesus in the middle of nowhere and died of some horrible disease serving God. They were true followers of Jesus, not just fans. And I don't want to discount that, but I'm also not sure that's who I am or who I'm supposed to be or what I'm called to. Right. Yeah. 
I guess I, I was thinking about the, the whole idea, like on 206 there in the middle. Have you exchanged, and here we go, I mean, this is, this is good. Have you exchanged obediently, <laughs> obediently following Jesus for a car that handles the corn, can really handle the corners, for a job that pays really well, for a house that has all the upgrades, uh, for following the stock index, for your, your fantasy football league. And, and you know. Which are I, totally shallow examples if you ask me. I, I mean, yeah, maybe he's speaking to someone other than me. I mean, those aren't my deals. <laughs> right. It's like, it's, like, it's like saying, you know, I know what's going on with the guy with the blizzard who got out of the car <laughs> at the gym, <laughs> sucking on a blizzard, throws it away, and gets, goes in for his workout. Well, maybe you do and maybe you don't. You know, and, and some of these, yeah, seem to be very shallow examples. And, and I guess that's what, you know, in other words, he, he's, he's creating examples to back up his point rather than looking at what it really means to be in relationship with, with God and with Jesus. And I, and I think that if we're going to do that, what, what, what appears to me is we have to step back and say, well, what's getting in the way? And is this a question of obedience? And again, like, I, think, I think obedience is probably somebody who can believe, who does have a necessary understanding. Now, the, honestly, if I was going to step in here, and I, I won't go down this direction, but I'll just sort of drop this point in, I think the difficulty in obedience is a lack of proper understanding, generally. But, you know, leave that aside for now. Obedience for me is somebody, yeah, I mean, I do have, I do believe, I do have an understanding, and I, I don't have any problems trusting, but I'm not doing it today. You know, if that's who your audience is, first of all, I didn't get that. I didn't get that from the book at all. This sense of, you know, this is just for you guys who are just kind of pissing around, and you really don't give a toss. And I didn't, I, you know, like, I guess I, I'm not trying to um, contort his message, but I guess if I really look at it and I say, why don't we do things if we think they're the right things to do? And, you know, we come up, we, we as evangelicals, typically we like to go back and we like to give a three-letter answer. We just say sin, which isn't an answer. It's not an answer at all. There's no explanatory power in that whatsoever, you know. Uh, or if it is, it, it sort of covers everything and means that there's no need to say anything more. That would be the notion that, that we're fallen. Yeah, we're just fallen, and so there's no explanation for it. But the problem is, there's no, you're not going to change the fact you're fallen. So, so why are we bothering in the first place? In other words, if you give the answer of sin, it's basically a deterministic sort of answer. And, and, and you're back right back in this kind of, you know, land of mystery and voodoo, where... <laughs> You know, I, I guess John's praying harder than me. I guess John's, like, given up his sports car and cut his stock portfolio in half. I guess John's, you know, like, what, what if somebody else named, I don't know, Joe Blow was to write a book called, uh, you know, I, I don't know, something similar to this and was to propose different things. On what basis would we adjudicate it? If he's saying different things than Kyle, and there are people saying different things than Kyle, then how do we judge between them? Well, I, I think we judge between them because we want to look at real life situations, and it's not the answer about why we don't obey. It's not about. It's not, the answer is not sin. The answer is not like you're a human being. Well, of course I'm a human being. Everybody's a human being. Everybody's got the same sort of condition. But you know, some people do do a better job of it than others. So what is going on? And, and I think that you mentioned earlier. I think you said. Um, did I hear you say the word fear? Um, no, I think I may have mentioned that before we started talking, but, and yeah, I don't know if this is a good segue, but it was this, it was another book that I was reading. It was this whole notion of, is fear really the best path to knowing God and having a relationship with him? Right. That was a different, that was right before we started. I'm, but I'm really glad I mentioned it because that, I think that really segues in here because fear for me, you know, it was about Kyle on page 21, being in relationship with God is about is about choosing reward rather than choosing punishment. The reward of heaven versus the, the, the punishment and fear of hell. And, and I, t I totally agree with that, you know, the other author who's saying that, you know, I don't think fear is, is the way to go at all. I think yeah, it's and, and maybe, wrong. Yeah, maybe, why don't I quote some of it? I think there, yeah. there might be an interesting time. So the name of the book is He Loves Me. It's by Wayne Jacobson, J-A-C-O-B-S-E-N. I'm in chapter three. The book is the chapter is titled Threatened with Hell, page 17. The question, and I'm quoting, the question is compelling. Do you know where you would end up if you died in a car accident tonight? The evangelist has already painted the pictures. You could find yourself in an eternal garden of exquisite beauty laced together with winding paths of gold, 
or writhing in the agony amidst the leaping sulfuric flames of hell. If there was ever a choice that defined no-brainer, this is it. Once you convince someone that heaven and hell exist, winning a convert is easy. After all, praying for forgiveness and accepting Jesus seems like a small price to pay for a get-out-of-hell card-free. A get-out-of-hell-free... <laughs> can't say this. Get-out-of-hell-free card. So effective is this appeal to people's worst fears and insecurities that hell has become the most popular invitation into God's kingdom. What we have not so critically examined is whether or not threatening people with hell engages them in the relationship God has always wanted with them. Mm. And then he goes on. I think this is poignant, too. No one has ever threatened to do something that was wonderful. My parents didn't threaten me with punishment to get me to go to Disneyland. But to make me go to the dentist or work in the vineyard, that was another matter. So if I'm told that I must love God or he will throw me into hell, I might well consider loving him, or at least pretend I do. But if the only reason I'm even responding to him is to serve my own self-interest and escape a fiery eternity in hell, am I really loving him or myself? Can a true friendship blossom under so grave a threat? Let's say I approach a recent acquaintance of mine hoping to deepen our friendship, and I say to him, I have really appreciated the time I've, we've spent together. In fact, I'd like to see our relationship grow and maybe even become best friends. How would you like to spend some time together over the next few months and see if that kind of friendship develops? So far, so good. But what if I added one more sentence? I hope you do, because if you don't, I'm going to haunt you. I'm going to hunt you down and torture you for the rest of your life. <laughs> Hasn't the invitation just taken an ominous turn? Even if he wanted to explore the potential of friendship with me, it has now become twisted by my threat. What does that say about me? How will he ever feel safe in a friendship cultivated on fear? Exactly. I thought great. that was so poignant. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it, it, it all makes so much sense to me and seems so logical. But yet I think I've been programmed with so many years of this other version of it that it's like, wait a minute, is that okay? Is that true? Well, you know, I really like what, what Wayne's done there in the sense that, that he's, he's taken the situation, he's created the parallel analogy in real everyday life. Yeah, what about that? <laughs> no, like, who's, who, who, what would you do? You, you'd say, this guy is a freak. <laughs> this guy is absolutely out of his mind. And I guess, I guess this is where I was going, and you said, you know, you asked me at the beginning of the podcast, and I, I don't want to take us there yet, but I do want to go there. You said, what did you think about this chapter? I said, I thought it was great because it gave me great in insight into Kyle Eidelman. And, and I'm talking about the, uh, uh, the divorce uh, discussion on pages end of 204 and top of 205. And that's exactly the same sort of thing that we're looking at there in my mind, which we don't have to go there yet. But I really like Wayne has taken this. He's made a real-life example. And for me, that the, the, the situation is crystal clear. This guy that I think is my friend is a bit of a freak. He's uh, possessive and controlling, and, um, you know, I don't feel safe. And this is where I was going to with the whole fear thing. Like, you know, uh, love casts out fear. This well, is a... Yeah, and, and this is how Wayne kind of closes off. Let me just quote a little bit more. Mm. Um, he's talking about a, a little – it goes on, and then he talks about, you know, the notion of do I have to do certain things to be saved and – um, so I won't go into that, but, but the kind of the conclusion of this, this section is, um, Jesus, he says his, Jesus message was not come to God or you'll burn in hell. His message was God's kingdom has come near you and you can become a participant in it. You have a father who loves you more than any other person has or ever will. And you can now discover what it means to have a daily relationship with him. If you choose not to, then your own sin will destroy you utterly and completely. Jesus compared this life to a treasure discovered in a field, something so valuable you would give up anything to possess it. His life is not something you have to follow. I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. He is worth knowing just because of how incredible awesome he is. If you want his gifts without wanting him, you cheat yourself out of the best portion. And I was like, wow, that is such a different message. Mm -hmm. I I'll confess, I like this book. <laughs> it resonated a lot with me. I, I feel like there's a lot more I could learn from it. But it's just such a different message and not a fan. Yeah, oh, it really is. And I, and I like that too. I mean, he's, he's right. It's not about 
you don't see the Gospels going there. It's not about heaven and hell. It's, it's the kingdom of heaven has, has drawn nigh to you. Well, and the notion that you've advocated all along, it's about how amazingly, how, how amazing the amount of love that God has for us is. Yes. In the context, too, of God knowing us. Yes. God knows us. It's not just this nebulous love that, you know, like, I don't know, your grandmother loves you a lot and sends you a gift for your birthday, and it's like, oh, I know grandma really loves me, but this has nothing to do with who I am. I mean, you're going to get the, it's, it's the, the, the gift that, that, that shows that there's such an intimate understanding of who you are, what you're about. And yeah, that, that's. So that's I don't know if that totally message. like goes where you were going, but it just seemed to kind of fit in there for me. I think the, the, the what Kyle seems to be trying to do is he try, he seems to be taking, he, he wants to take some direct route at, to, to, to solving a problem. And I think that he's misunderstood who God is in putting it down to reward and punishment, heaven and hell. I think that he's misunderstood what the issues are by focusing on, on, on following in a way that kind of emphasizes obedience as opposed to trust, as opposed to understanding and even believing, being able to believe in the basic concepts first. And then even if we just stick with the notion of obedience, I think that his notion of obedience, as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I think that part of the problem is you get people like, like I, I don't know what you think about my kind of, uh, not different steps, but different segments of this process, belief, understanding, trust, obedience. But my hunch is that a lot of people who have trouble being quote-unquote obedient do so because there's something in there, like this idea that if a friend said to you, by the way, you know, I really want to be good friends with you. And however, if you're not interested, I'm going to come see you with a shotgun. <laughs> you know, people, I think at a certain level, people have something that says to them, this doesn't work. In other words, in other words, that smells stinky. <laughs> it, it smells stinky, but it smells stinky because I, I am looking for safety. I am looking for security and I am, I'm, I'm detecting this lingering odor of fear. I'm looking to be, to be accepted and I'm feeling the potential for loneliness and rejection if I if I go this way and make this mistake or go that way. This relationship is tenuous. No, it's not tenuous. It's incredibly solid. It's robust. It's all inclusive. You know, but I think the way Kyle is presenting it, I would feel worried. I would feel scared. And I would feel that things like loneliness and uh, disapproval would be lurking. Yeah, and then it becomes based on shame and almost manipulation. Yeah. And then it's not really a decision or a... I mean, when I think obedience, as you were talking, I sometimes I I sense maybe a nuance there, so I'm wondering if you could break this down a little bit. When I hear obedience, my initial thought is, well, you know, as a parent, you expect your children to obey you. And sometimes, a lot of times especially when they're young, it's just like, no, you can't play in the street. I, I told you to get out of the street. You didn't get out of the street. There's a consequence. Mm -hmm. they, didn't, they didn't, quote, obey. Mm -hmm. Are you suggesting that, that obedience in the context that we're talking is not that here's the rule, you must obey it? It's, it's something different, a little different? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, again, the whole, the whole you see, this for me comes back to this notion, uh, again, sort of who is God? If God is only is only Lord, then my only response, you know, and if obviously uh, Kyle and I differ on this point, I think uh, that the best way to categorize, so if God is a uh, is Lord, the best way to characterize Christians is as servants. I think when we start talking slaves, typically we miss the, the big distinction between slaves and the common sense of understanding it nowadays is like the antebellum South, right? What was it like? In the pre-Civil you know, Civil War South, that's what a slave is. No, 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 no. The New Testament has a huge sense of what a slave is. And it's very, it could, it could be like that, but very often it's not. But anyways, the idea that if, if God is, is Lord, we only really have the, the response of obedience as, say, being an obedient, offering obedient service. Right? But if God is Father, we are into a different... We, you, you can't just say, what, you know, 
like, I appreciate what you say. You want your children to be obedient. But at the end of the day, if the children do everything you want them to do, is that enough? If your children, <laughs> like, if, you know, you could, I guess you could say to them, hang out with me. Right. I can, I've had my, well, kids. no, you just have little robots. Yeah. They're, they're sitting there. Like my kids are nine and 12. They can, they can hang out with me, quote unquote, but they're not there. <laughs> True. You know, it's like, I can't command you to enjoy yourself with me. I can't command you to love me. I can't make you do it. I can't command you to express that to me. But it's you different know. with God. See, when you do everything he commands, then all the good stuff happens. I'm being sarcastic. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, but that's perfect. That's perfect. Because yeah, that's what you said before. If you don't do it, uh, then the good stuff won't happen. And you see, what I'm trying to say is the good stuff's happened first. And that's why you respond the way you do. Right? Your kids know that they can trust you because before they could speak, before they could da-da-da-da-da, you've been feeding them, diapering them, providing them shelter, providing them clothing. You've been in their lives in a positive, good, right way. This is the same situation with God. If you look at what Jesus did in the New Testament, he did not come and say, okay, here you, know, here you go. Everybody, um, do what I want you to do, and then I'll help you out. <laughs> Calls people. Yes, he called people to be baptized. Yes, he baptized people. But he goes around healing, feeding, you know, knowing, talking to, relating with people. That is so fascinating. He is establishing relationship with them in a particular way to do what? To create understanding, to cultivate trust in order that there will be the right way of relating, which includes obedience. But it is obedience out of a right relationship characterized by what? Love. The greatest command that you have. Exactly. Love God with all that you are. Love yourself and love your neighbor likewise. That's what it's about. But, you know, we're taking this out of the New Testament. Con it's, it's like it's, it's a grab bag. I, you know, I. No, that's what the Bible is. Well, <laughs> well <laughs> that's how the Bible is often used. I feel like it's a magic grab bag. I think he's doing it. I honestly think he's doing it and getting to the end of this book. I, I think that there are a lot of misunderstandings. And I, I think that if you're understanding God in the way that Kyle Eidelman is telling you to, um, you know, in the in the the gentlest way I can say it, um, I, I would be extremely worried about anyone who would be understanding God in that way and would not see, you know, the notions like the contrasting notions that Kyle's not bringing up. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. I mean, these things are there. They're receiving no emphasis. And the fact that they're there means that they give a very different flavor to some of the things that Kyle's talking about. It's not like he's making up, I don't know, the, ver the book of uh, First Kyle. I I'm not saying suggesting that. He's, he's using biblical passages to prove his points, but he's not bringing out contrasting passages which would soften and actually redirect the emphasis that he's created and the type of picture of God that he's painting. And that we as a result, the type of picture that we as a result, uh, who we are and how we should be responding. And I think Wayne Jacobson offers a really good point about, you know, being fear-based is exactly, A, it doesn't make for good relationships, but B, you know, God is, is, is extremely explicit, extremely. I, I, you, if you're arguing against love being the greatest commandment, I, I think you're, um, you're on a sinking ship or you're already 15 feet underwater. Well, he didn't argue. I don't know that he argued against it. He just never brought it up. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I don't think he's, uh, but, uh, well, I don't, I think he is arguing against it. following, following is the number one thing. Right. Well, in the verse he the it's funny, the verse that he chose to close out the book mm -hmm. on chapter fourteen, Second uh, Chronicles sixteen nine. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. So, if I'm just going to read that one sentence, and I have no, I haven't looked up what was going on in Second Chronicles, but I mean, I'm guessing the takeaway from this verse is that if you're not committed to him he's not looking he's not going to strengthen you yeah he's not even looking for you yeah because you, you're, you're not you're committed not, you're not on board so he doesn't care about it. which is I, I don't believe that for a second no no i mean i'm in far in terms of your little checklist or your your you know 
does God exist? I'm a total plus one there. Yeah, I believe he exists. But it's those next two steps that I'm I'm still grappling with. Yeah. But I I firmly believe that if God is really out there, that eventually I'm going to find him. It may be another 20 years, but he's not going to strengthen me until I totally commit to him. Well, what the, what, what the heck am I committing to? Exactly. I'm, I'm committing to a bunch of principles. You know, I'm making this mental ascent. Well, I made the mental ascent years ago, and it just didn't work out. It just, you know, the fake it till you make it thing didn't work here. No, well, the intellectual concept is one thing. The, the, the relationship is built on that and relates to it, but it's different. And if you don't have that, you know, if you, if you hear the story of Jesus coming to, you know, in, in Galilee, whatever, and that the kingdom of heaven is drawn near, and you don't hear any of the other stories, you think, okay, this guy's got a message. And, and, and there are a lot of messages at that time. You know, Jesus was not, ooh, it's, look, look, it's somebody with a message. It's, it's, it's like, hey, there's another guy with a message. Right? There's yet another guy with a message. The different thing is, this guy is healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He is relating with people. He is confronting the religious leaders of the time. He is for the people. And I think, I think if there's one thing, if there's one thing that I could say about this entire book, um, it is that how we quintessentially understand God is key. So this piece about understanding is is essential. And what I'm getting out of this book is God is Lord. And your job, you are not a servant, you are a slave. And the slave's job, you know, and once you're enslaved, you have no rights, you have no real personhood, uh, you have no power. You're you a zero. No, you have no authority, you're a zero. And your job is just to do the job you've been given, and that's all. And this is as far away from an understanding of God. In, in one sense, it's close. In another sense, it's extraordinarily removed. God wants us to be ourselves. It's at the beginning of the Narnia series. And it's so touching. It's just such a touching line amongst, amongst all these kind of, you know, the stories going on, and Aslan is there, and all the creatures are gathered, and Aslan says to them, I give you yourselves. And I think that is the most brilliant and most true line that C.S. Lewis has penned. I give you yourselves. We are a gift to us from God. And we have the ability and the, if you, if you want to use the word, the right, well, we have the ability to make the choices. We have the responsibility of making those choices and responsibility for the outcomes. But God is much more than a sovereign. God is, we are constantly told, God is also a father. God is parent. And you see this drastic change in the New Testament of, by all people, by Jesus. Abba. Abba. And Brennan Manning picks up on this with power, force, and accuracy. This is a huge change. Putting referring to God as Abba, we stand in the position of children. And of course, Brennan Manning's, you know, I, I probably showed you that video clip, and I still find this just nearly overwhelming. And he says, you know, Jesus is going to look at each one of us, and he's going to say, do you believe that I loved you? Do you believe that I loved you? And I think it's probably going to be a little more than that in the sense of, do you love me? You know, and, and, and it's one of those things that, I guess, just to say it, I don't think that in that context that the question is going to be needed to be asked for those that, that do. I think those that do I think they're going to be just falling over themselves to get to him. And I think that is the point. That That's the point of the whole thing, is that God loves us tremendously. God's not looking for ways to punish us. God's not looking for ways to throw up obstacles. 
God is looking to remove obstacles. God is reclaiming all things in God's name because all things are God's. God's kingdom has come. Christ has inaugurated that. And we have the opportunity, as those who have been given ourselves, we have the opportunity, the privilege, to participate in that, which is being in a relationship with wherein we may know ourselves and our true identities because God knows us more truly than we know ourselves, wherein we may find our own best interest because God loves us more deeply than we love ourselves. So being in relationship with God is finding our interest and is finding our identity, embodying that, and realizing what it is through our, the living of our own lives to find our best interest, our best role in life, our best way of being ourselves. And I, I think what, what Kyle has done here has, has taken God and seen God as this holy sovereign, when in reality, God is a holy sovereign. God is also a supremely loving father, loving parent. You know, and I say parent here because I do not want to restrict God to a gender role. Jesus was clearly masculine. God is not masculine. God exceeds the masculine and exceeds the feminine while comprising them both. God is more. But if we don't see that, and if we don't understand, if we keep looking at obedience as the model response for the child to the parent, I think we're wrong. I want my children to obey me. Like I want my children to do their chores. But you know, at the end of the day, when my daughter hugged me at the top of the stairs the other night, and she was afraid, she was having a moment, and I, I could just tell by the way she held me, there is no way to command that. There is no way to insist on that. There is no way to extort that. It was this deep, deep, deep connection. That's what I want. That's what makes me feel full and whole when it comes to my kids. That's what make God, makes God feel full and whole when it comes to us. God feels delighted and over, maybe not overwhelmed, but delighted and, and, and immensely satisfied when we are in a right relationship with God, and that means loving God as fully as my daughter, more fully, as fully as my daughter was loving me last night, but the way she was holding me. And I think what's so interesting about what you said is the, uh, my hunch, my experience is people on Kyle's side of the aisle would say that this notion of love has just been way too overemphasized. That, quote, the Bible is clear, and, you know, we are slaves, and I guess, and even just saying all that, uh, I almost answered my own point, which is we don't really agree with many of their interpretations of the Bible. So <laughs> maybe that maybe that's not even a path worth going down. Well, it would be interesting. I mean, I really, if I had the time, I, I really, I really would genuinely be curious to know how Kyle would balance out some of the passages that he's really emphasized his passage on taking up your cross, for example, with the idea that, you know, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, and the reality that, you know, the number one command is to love God. And yet love doesn't figure in this book hardly ever, except as you mentioned, the very last two sentences. You know? I think there's, t there's two other places where it, it pops up a little bit. Well, and then on, well, 205, please understand, Jesus loves you so much, he died to have a relationship with you. And then he goes right back to his whole shtick. He will not share your heart with anyone. He will settle for nothing less than your complete devotion and heartfelt affection. He made no compromises when he came and gave his life up for you. And he takes no compromises now as he asks you to do the same. Drama, drama, drama. Well, you know, I'm really glad you mentioned 205. 205 is my second least page in this book. After page 21. Yeah, no, this is the same page that has, when we finally surrender that one thing, we discover the satisfaction. It's that simple. You find that one thing, kabam, you're there. So maybe you can help me find that one thing on a future podcast. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a pretty tall order. Um, well, uh, see, this, 
this this particularly was what got me about this this chapter. This and, by, and I should clarify by one thing. I'm being facetious in the sense of it's probably twenty things. To say it's just one thing it seems ridiculous yeah. to me. But continue. Yeah. Well, the I'll try to draw this out in a way that makes sense with the later comments about you know that you just read. Like Jesus loves you so much, he died for a relationship with you. Will not share your heart with anyone. Um, I mean, I guess basically, I, I I think that's wrong. And he said that where? <laughs> yeah, you know, and and what's the same thing? Like you 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 lose yourself, you 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 seed yourself so there's room for the Holy Spirit. No, 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 you become yourself. You become yourself. God knows you. God knows you more truly than you know yourself. Your identity is is more held in God, and God's going to help bring that up so that it flourishes. You become yourself. You don't give up yourself. That's not how it is. Um, but this whole point, um, story on page 2004, midway down, two zero. Oh, <laughs> I don't think we would have made it that far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Look at me. I'm uh, what, for punishment. <laughs> Okay. This yeah, would be was, like volume 35. Okay, that, continue. That, that, that was funny. Um, yeah, my parents, uh, close friends of my parents were going to, through a divorce, and um, she had been unfaithful. The affair had been ongoing. The husband was devastated. He loved his wife, and he wanted the marriage to work, but the other man in the picture wanted her too. They were both pursuing her. They were coming after her. She had to make a choice. Okay, so he's, he's praying one night, and he asks his dad, and then we flip to the top of 205, and I'd like to read this paragraph. He asks his dad, um, what would you do if something like this happened to you? I'm reading from the bottom of 204, the last line. What would you do if you were the husband? Top of 205. I quote, I'll never forget his response. I wasn't, it wasn't what I was expecting. My dad is one of the most gentle and grace-filled men you'll ever meet. But he said to me, well, I'd go downstairs. I would get your wooden baseball bat. I drill a hole through the handle. I tie a leather strap to the back. I put the strap around my wrist. I go over to the man's house and tell him that if he got within a hundred yards of my wife, I'd break both his legs. And and I'm also quoting Kyle quoting his dad. So Kyle's got this part about well I'd go downstairs and then break both his legs. That's in quotation marks too. The point that I'm trying to make here is that um I think this as a synopsis, Kyle, I'm not even sure what the point of that is. Did I? Well, what is he, it ties in exactly. What he's saying is, so the third paragraph, going down, skipping a paragraph on 205. It's, you know, it's five lines below what I just read. This, in other words, like, like Kyle's dad. God loves us like Kyle's dad, and he wants us wants to be loved by us. And my response is no. No, God does not love me like that. That is not how God loves me. First of all, and I think this is a this is a a microcosm of what I see going on in this book, is some vast misunderstandings. If you've got a, if you've got a situation going on where there's a there's an affair or there's another person, you know, I was surprised to read somewhat somewhat happy, but also surprised to read that the Kyle's dad didn't say, and next I'd go to your mother, and say that if she gets within a hundred miles of him. I'll break both her legs. <laughs> and and then I'd go to my friend and I'd say, you're my best friend. Please take this bat and threaten me that if I don't take care of my wife the way that I should, you're going to break both my legs. Now, if he had done all those things, I would think, okay, this is a fairly extreme person, but at least he's got an understanding of the situation. Because when these types of things happen, and I'm, I'm thinking about a good friend of yours too, and a, an acquaintance of mine who made a comment, and who has some understanding. When these types of things happen, the first place you look is at home. And maybe, maybe in this case, the wife is at fault. Maybe she made some, some bad calls. And, um, you know, this is down to her trying to come up with a better response and making a, the right choice. I don't know. But, but dollars to donuts here, um, this is a family issue, right? So what he's doing is he's responding to this as a threat. It's like somebody's threatening my daughters, my my wife. So if so I he's this, okay, so he's going to arm up and and basically defend. He's going to defend against the threat, and the problem is the threat is not from with without the threat. The threat is from within, and the threat 
in the, like so he this this fellow I appreciate that and like uh, if if somebody said to me listen there's somebody threatening your 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 daughters what would you do and I my first response would be I'd go to the police and then they said listen this isn't working you're not really getting any support you've got really good evidence to say that you know there's some there's a lot of fear here and there could be some bad outcomes what would you do I would get that bat and I do exactly what he did because there's a threat from without they're threatening my children I can't get a response from my judiciary system I will protect my children. However, this is not the right situation. He's misconstrued the situation, so he's got the response that doesn't work. And and it's not good enough to go threaten your wife either. The best place to start looking, if you're that guy, is yourself. What is it that made her go someplace else? Why did she do that? Wow. And you need to sit down and have a good conversation with your wife, and you need to sit down and have a good conversation with yourself. But you know what? That other guy, he is just like, he's going he's gonna to disappear. Because if she doesn't want to be with him, there's there's no issue. And if she does want to be with him, then what's going on? And so when he says that God, this is how God loves us, God's not, God's not going out threatening everything, and God's not threatening me. God's inviting me. When he says that to me, my first thought is God is saying, I've got a big baseball bat here, and if you want to be my friend, I'll put it away. But if you don't, I'm going to smack you so hard. In other words... So the baseball bat is hell. Precisely. Precisely. Whoa. Precisely. Now, Whoa. You, now you've got the... And, and he's saying, this, this is my father, this gentle, grace-filled man. Well, pardon me, this gentle, grace-filled man got it totally wrong. And I would, I would do what he did under certain situations if there was an exterior threat. But this is not a threat from without. This is a situation from within, and it's the same with every person who has to come to God. You are not being threatened from without. You are being wooed, and you are, you know, God is saying, hey, I'm putting before you the possibilities to believe, to understand, to trust, and to be in a right relationship that is characterized by both obedience and love, because I am both a Lord and a parent. I am putting this forward, and I am trying to bring this about in your life. I am bringing about the possibilities for you to engage with me in the right way, and I don't ever want that relationship to end. That is what's going on here, and that is not what Kyle is putting out. And I understand if this is if this is some of his best models for how God works, the wonder he's got it wrong. Well, the spooky music means only one thing. This episode's over, but another one's on the way. Thanks for listening to Untangling Christianity. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment at our website untanglingchristianity.com slash 31 If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com And if you're looking for just one more way to give feedback on the podcast, we're running a survey, untanglingchristianity.com slash survey. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thank him for his generosity by supporting him at his website. Tune in next week for a new episode.